This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Pele leaned in and said something to Freddie. Don't let them change you. Keep working on what makes you different and what makes you special. It was great advice, but it caused me some problems. But what could change Freddie do? Soccer is going to explode, and it's going to be around this kid. We were the Beatles. Everywhere we went, it was the Freddie show. And with that came the expectation, and with that came the pressure. New episodes of American Prodigy drop Tuesdays from Blue Wire Podcasts. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Hardwood Knox. Uh, this is Adam Frommel here with my co-host, Dan Favalli. And we are now close enough to the start of the NBA's 2020-21 season that we are going to do some over-under predictions for each and every one of the NBA's 30 different teams. Uh, we'll be going through them alphabetically, uh, giving the the betting line as of Monday morning, December 14th, uh, from, from uh, betonline.ag, which is uh, one of our sponsors for this podcast, along with Indeed. You'll be hearing from both of them later. And then Dan and I are going to uh, tell you whether we think that line is too high, too low, or just right. Uh, there are we, we compiled these beforehand, and there are eight teams that we do differ on, which uh, you know normally we're in a little bit more lockstep than that. So this should be a good episode as we uh, we get into some actual arguments here. But before any of that, how's it going, Dan? I'm doing well. I'm very tired, um, but it was good. Look, we got to see Kevin Durant play basketball again. I have literally no idea when this is going to be released, so hopefully that's not like Hopefully it's still novel when we say that, but uh, so I have zero complaints over here other than I wish there were a few more hours in each day, both to get some more work done and sleep. But how about yourself? I mean, that's a perpetual request on my end, but yeah, I agree. Uh, watching Durant was awesome. It's uh, it's, it's great just to see him back in action, but beyond that, like looking like himself, dare we say, uh, you know, the, the Achilles ruptures are, they tend to be so detrimental for, for athletes, but you know, Durant is still young enough, and he is still lanky enough to shoot over everyone, and it looks like it might not affect him that much. And it would be great if he he got back into that top five player conversation quickly. You know, both for the Nets and for our overall enjoyment as NBA fans. Yeah, look, that his first his first uh, made basket being a dunk too was just like you know you don't want to overreact just to one preseason game at this point, but it's just to see him on the floor was just you know even seeing Kyrie on the floor like dancing and stuff like you kind of forget just you know, how, like you, how much you missed that. Like it felt like there were more star injuries last year than we've had in quite some time. Even John Wall too, looking like really speedy with the Rockets. Here's hoping, here's hoping it all lasts. But yeah, I mean that, that first Durant dunk, it wasn't just like this uncontested putback or anything. Like he put the ball on his floor, he drove to his left, he elevated and it was a two handed slam. Like it was great to see more of that, please. Yes. I'm ready to see it. Although someone said it was that. probably strategic of the Nets to schedule the Wizards as their first preseason game, which I thought was hysterical. So, The Wizards are going to be playing preseason games all year long, right? You think they're going to be that bad? I don't know. We'll get there. 
I think that's the last team we'll talk about today. Nice. I guess that was we should my get segue s- into you, you, you leading it off. Um, look, so <laughs> if we're going alphabetically, let's start with the Atlanta Hawks. They played at a 24-win equivalent last year. Their win total this year, and I'll, I'll provide both, like in case people still have trouble visualizing it in a 72-game context. Uh, I'll provide the 82-game equivalent. Their over-under is 36.5, and that's a 42-win equivalent season. Adam, what did you do for them, over or under? I've got them at 40 and 32 for the season, so I'm going to go over uh, and, a, and a fairly confident over. I think that this is the year that that Trey Young starts to to really validate the hype. Now that he has a, a more competent supporting cast around him, there's there's depth for uh, creators with Rajon Rondo and Chris Dunn and Kevin Herter playing some point guard. The the forward rotation is remarkably deep. There are a, a bunch of players who are capable of creating their own shots. This is this is just a potent offense which should be able to overcome a mediocre at best defense. Uh, and, and, and I, I do think that, you know, I've said in the past that this is a playoff lock of a team and, and I will stand by that here. I do think that they're a playoff lock or at least a play in lock. I just have concerns about what the defense is going to end up looking like. And I'm very curious to see how, at least for the first quarter or so of the season, how teams that have so many new additions fare just because the training camp is so abbreviated. So, you know, what is Gallo going to look like? Bladonovich going to look like? Um, you know, Clint Capella is playing with this team for the first time, essentially, too. You have Ronald Dunst. The team I really like, I just wonder if it's going to take them, like, a little bit more to gel. Uh, however, I went over as well, just because a 42-win pace, like, that just seems... I feel like they're going to be, I don't want to say decidedly over 500, but this feels like it could be, in a normal season, would be like a 43 or 44 or 45-win team. And I, I just, I feel like the error would be high than low here. It feels more likely, given how much depth and how much top-level talent they have now, that the Hawks would be more likely to push towards 50 than, like, 36 in a normal 82-game season. Like, I, I just, I, I think it's so more you think likely they have a very high floor than it's a disaster. Saying. Yeah, I just, I don't see disaster potential on this team because we know how good Trey Young is already. We know how good guys like Danilo Gallinari and, and Bogdan Bogdanovich are. And there's, there's just too much talent that looks cohesive on paper for this team to just bottom out. I think I think that's fair. Uh, they're going to be just among the most fascinating ones because of the amount of new talent they added. But the Boston Celtics, we move on to. They are 44.5 is their win total over under. That's the equivalent of a 51 win season in, in a normal year. Adam, what are you doing for them? I'm going to go over again. I've got them at 47 and 25. I think I think the big concern is the Kemba Walker injury. Just the fact that that his lower extremities still aren't working properly that he's returning in early January at the earliest. Like that's that seems concerning and might be a reason to push them under, but I just have so much confidence in Jason Tatum coming off a postseason run in which he averaged 25.7 points, 10 rebounds, and five assists per game. Like he has those facilitating and distributing chops that I think that he's going to assert himself as an early season MVP favorite and and carry this team to a a higher pace than we would have expected with Kemba out at the beginning of the year. My concern is just and Jason Tatum, we can expect him to get better, and I think he's going to make a jump as a passer if only because he has to at this point since Kemba Walker is going to miss so much time with a knee. I just don't know what happens after that. Can you rely on Jalen Brown for more playmaking? Maybe Marcus Smart a little bit. I wasn't a huge fan of the Teague signing, but what is he going to provide you? 
their offense is just I don't it concerns me a little bit. They were in last year when Hayward and Walker were not on the court and Tatum played. Their offense was in the 32nd percentile. And so like even if you account for a Tatum jump, like there's just a chance that you're going to struggle there and the the half court offense in those situations was just terrible. Uh 90 points per 100 possessions, which was in the 19th percentile and you, I think you can argue that, okay, maybe the center, like a lot of those minutes came with Cantor, but those minutes were also probably coming against non-starters predominantly. And now you're going to have to begin games without Kemba. And we know Hayward's not going to come back. I'm just curious to see as the more I thought about it, the lower I got on the Tristan Thompson edition, they just took their best offseason spending tool and they didn't add another playmaker or a wing because now their wing depth is just super fragile and it was kind of fragile to begin with because of Hayward and you could have talked yourself into them being fine. They did make the uh, conference finals without him essentially last year uh, in the, like, you know, in the, in the postseason bubble still, like, unless you're going to get like a jump from Tremont waters, Carson Edwards, like is what's going to happen with Romeo Langford when he's healthy. Is Aaron Naismith going to have like a, an actual role? Like what about Peyton Pritchard once he's healthy, you need someone on this roster that we're, that like we don't know enough about to like really ex- I don't want to say explode but pop and I just I don't look at anyone and see that player I don't see Marcus Smart having enough like much more playmaking bandwidth maybe Jalen Brown will have some that's the player that you zero in on but I think it's going to take like one of those non marquee guys is basically what I'm saying so My I went under is it's going to be Peyton clear. Pritchard what's that I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Peyton Pritchard among those options as the guy who's going to as you put it pop. But I, I think, th- like, just the diversity of options is a good thing. It's good, but it's like they, we just know so little. Um, I'm surprised we haven't heard more about Carson Edwards. So I, I guess they don't like – they're not super high on him. But, yeah, it has to be one of those guys. But I went under. You went over. So that will be something to note uh, in the months to come. The Brooklyn Nets, they have an over-under of 44.5 also, 51 game equivalent – and 51 win equivalent, excuse me, in a normal season. Adam, what did you do for them? It feels like that line is set – because of all the uncertainty around the health of the stars. You know, are we going to bank on a 20-game absence from Kyrie Irving? Are we expecting Kevin Durant to miss time? But I, I just I, I have enough confidence based on these early preseason returns, the reports that we've seen from workouts, that KD is going to be KD. And that just immediately puts me in the overcamp. So I, I did my win projections independent of these lines. I, I didn't want to be influenced by them at all before, and I, I came out with 46 and 26 for them. So I'm, I'm just barely over, but it's I would not put money on that one um, as opposed to like hammering the Hawks over just because I do think that there is potential for relative collapse here, whether because of injuries or just a lack of cohesion. Yeah, this one was tough for me. I went over as well. And I hope I wasn't too influenced by watching Kevin Durant play basketball basketball again. But if they, like, just between, this team always seems to overachieve. And I know Kenny Atkinson's staff is not there anymore. But just between Levert and Dinwiddie and Irving and Durant, like, you kind of have the, the ball handling depth to make up for star player absences. And so even if you assume, like, let's pencil Kevin Durant out of every single um, back-to-back, one end of them. Uh, maybe you can even do the same for Irving. I just still feel like this team has a chance to be really good. Um, I don't feel comfortable with that over, though. I'm tempted to go under because if I set – so let me set the over-under on the number of games that Kyrie and KD play in together out of these 72. I'm going to set it at 28.5. What are you taking on that? I'm still going to go over there. I okay. just – I don't like to bet on on, on the injuries. Um, 
and as as injury prone as both of them have been in recent years, like it's just hard to know whether that's going to continue, especially when they've both had so much time off. Like Irving only played 20 games last year. He didn't participate in the season restart. He's had a very extended off season. So as opposed to like the Lakers who are going to have to ramp things up quickly after their run to the title and, and maybe worry a little bit more about soft tissue injuries, as we've seen with expedited off seasons, like that's not really the situation for these guys. I mean, I, I hope you're right. I don't like to bet on bet on the injuries either, but they're a team that it just makes you unsettling because, and look, you also have to factor in like, what if they trade for James Harden? What does that do for the fit? What does that do for the depth? And that's what makes this win total more turbulent. I actually factored in like them playing the season without trading for James Harden is kind yeah, of how I looked at same. it too. That would bring us to Charlotte Hornets. Their over under is set at 27.5, which is the equivalent of 31 wins in a normal season. Adam. This was a tough one just because I'm not quite sure what Charlotte's motivations are going to be. On one hand, the Gordon Hayward signing is an indication that they want to make a playoff push right now, or else why are you going to give this guy in his 30s that much money uh, to come play for what you're hoping is is a rebuilding team? But then LaMelo Ball is just so clearly a project, and as exciting as he looked during that first preseason outing, he also missed roughly 800 shots, and it's very much going to be a steep learning curve for him. But they have to play him because he's going to be a, fa- a face of the franchise. I like a lot of pieces on this roster. Um, I especially like a lot of the backcourt talent. I think we all know how high I am on Grant Riller, for example, at, at this point. Um, but I do have them barely under uh, going 27 and 35. I, would, and I, feel um, bad, I feel bad about picking the under there. Oh, I don't. I absolutely don't. One, I think Sorry, that they're going to... 27 and 45, I should say. I have, I have under, and I would go... Fairly comfortably under. I think whenever you give a rookie such like huge influence over an offense, you just have to be prepared for major growing pains. And maybe they end up putting Lamelo on a shorter leash. I still don't know how much that inflates their their win total. I could see them trading Devontae Graham, who's going to need a new contract after this season. I could see them trading, uh, you know, Cody Zeller at some point this year once it's clear that. They're not going to be super competitive. I think this team is super turbulent. And look, Gordon Hayward's been banged up in two of the last three years. So, like, I don't know that you can count on his availability. And even if you get 70 games of Gordon Hayward, I just don't know how many wins that adds to the table when the supporting cast around him is still largely, like, you know, inexperienced. Just looking at P.J. Washington, even Miles Bridges. Like, yeah, you have Cody Zeller, but he's banged up all the time. I do not feel the least bit bad about going with, with the under here. I like so many pieces on the Charlotte roster that I surprised myself that I was under on them. Um, I, I do think that a lot of their losses will be competitive, but there there are just too many growing pains that they need to go through. Fair, fair enough. I mean, you were just nicer about it than I was. The Chicago Bulls, they're over-under set at 29.5 or 34 if you're looking at an 82-game season. We disagreed on this one. So, Adam, you go first. I'm actually a strong over here. I have them at uh, at 32 and 40, and I think they're going to be hanging around in the postseason chase for quite a while. And I actually do have them earning one of those final play-in spots in the Eastern Conference. I I just I really like so many pieces on this team. I think that Zach Levine can be a legitimate centerpiece as they put the right pieces around him. I like things that I've seen from Kobe White. If Otto Porter Jr. is even remotely healthy, he makes this team way better. Laurie Markkinen has shown so many flashes that I'm excited to see what he's going to do under more competent coaching than Jim Boylan provided. And I'm I'm just I'm still excited about Wendell Carter Jr., who was compared favorably to Al Horford going into the draft process. 
Al Horford played for B- Billy Donovan in college. Wendell Carter Jr. now gets to play for Billy Donovan uh, on the Bulls. I just I like so many different pieces of this roster, and I think it does fit together nicely. That I'm I'm pretty strongly over here. That's interesting that you trust that this roster is going to look remotely similar by the time the season ends. I feel like they're having the new front office regime there. They're going to see that one of the market inefficiencies right now is there are so few teams in the league that are actively trying to lose. I see them unloading talent. Um, I, I could see them moving Zach Levine. And then, you know, just I was seduced by the Bulls last year as well. After they added Thad Young and Thomas Sadoransky, I'm just not going to let it happen again. And I feel like they're probably going to play Patrick Williams a bunch, who you know that I love. But, like, there are going to be mistakes from him on the defensive end, particularly if they're going to try and play him at the wing spots. I don't know what to expect from Larry Marketing. Like, yeah, maybe he won't have these late clock grenades in his hand as much. Um, but he's still kind of underwhelmed. Like, does he have anything to offer as more than a floor spacer? Uh, what's going on with Wendell Carter Jr.? Like, yeah, if he's going to look at the rim more, great. But, like, w- what does that mean? So I think that this roster ends up, if I had to guess, at least one of Larry Marketing and Zach Levine will be moved. I'd be surprised if both Thaddeus Young and Thomas Adoransky finished the season on this roster. And then there's also a chance that they're just not really good enough, even if they stay together. Like, there's a lot of variance there where you still don't have that high-end impact offensive player. And that's not to really insult Zach Levine. It's just that he's not that guy as a playmaker. The data is just there. It's phenomenal that he can hit um, off the dribble threes. And you want someone who can score 25 points per game. I get it. But unless Kobe White is going to you know, turn into this virtuoso just table setter and really uplift his teammates, they still don't have that player. And so I went with the under in this situation. It feels like you know, expecting them to get to 30 wins this season is going to be a little bit of a stretch when wins one through 10, I would say in the East are going to just be a little bit harder to, to come by against those teams than last season. And spoiler alert, you do have them just outside your play in picture in the Eastern conference standings. I do have them at number 10 and it looks like you have them at number 11. Yeah. So, you know, they might be right there, but I just feel like this something's going to happen with this roster is like my gut feeling. And that's what's hard about these two is because teams undergo so many facelifts during the middle of the season. For what it's worth, I do tend to not take that into account when I'm doing my record projections, just because it's so difficult to predict player movement, much less just the season in general. Um, So I I do tend to operate under the assumption that that rosters are largely going to remain at least somewhat consistent. Uh, during the year, which is probably uh, not a good thing for me to do in these, but I'm just being upfront about the process. I would approach it that way if, like, we were going to do this again midseason, but like they don't provide updated win totals right. like throughout the season. So I try to factor in everything, and that's what makes it harder. And I think you could look at it any way you want. Cleveland Cavaliers, 21.5 is their over under, the equivalent of a 24 win season, which is exactly the pace at which they played last year. We are in lockstep with this one. What was we it? We are. Yeah, I have them going 27 and 45, which would be over by a substantial amount. In fact, they are tied with one team we'll get to later for the the biggest variation between an over pick and their actual line. Um, I, I just I, I, I don't think that the market is going to be that conducive to them moving Kevin Love or Andre Drummond. Um, so I actually do expect them to be there for at least – the majority of the season. I really like Isaac Okoro. I am a huge Colin Sexton fan. 
I think that he is he's going to be in the most improved player conversation. This is not yet a playoff threat in the East, but it is a competent team that will not be hanging around the very bottom of the Eastern Conference standings. Yeah, the fact that their wins haven't changed, they could move Kevin Love, and I'm not sure that they will this season. That feels like with three years left on his deal, maybe it's something they do in the offseason more, is more likely. I don't know. I think this team still has a chance to beat last year's pace, even if they move a Kevin Love. And Okoro is going to be a big part of that. They have Dylan Windler as well, Colin Sexton getting better, um, Kevin Porter Jr. once um, his legal stuff is is handled, like he showed flashes last year. Darius Garland, it felt like the game slowed down for him as well as the year went on. So uh, I think they're just going to be organically better. I mean, you still have Larry Nance there. Um, they have a lot of different interesting lineups. So the fact that they now have, you know, if Dante Exum's healthy, like they just have a number of the guys on this team that can like really defend now too. And so I don't know what that necessarily means. Like, is this a difference of, will they you know beat this by, you said it was a high discrepancy for you. I don't know if it's going to be as high for me, but this feels like a team that should be winning closer to a 30, like three win pace than a 23. Win pace. Yeah, I have them five and a half games over the line, which is pretty substantial. Yeah. So we both we both went over there. And that one was probably one of the easiest ones for me. I don't know about you. That was I think that was the easiest one for me. Just uh, there was as I was going through them, it was like there was no doubt I, I had to do a double take at the line. I expected it to be way higher. The Dallas Mavericks are a 42.5, which is the equivalent of a 48 win season, which is one win higher than the place at which they paid last year. We are in lockstep yet again, Adam. Yeah, I, I, I think that the Kristaps Porzingis injury concerns are probably the reason that that line feels too low. I did go with the over here. I have them uh, winning 47 games in a 72-game season, and it's just the Luka Doncic factor. I mean, he's he's coming off a top-five MVP finish. He's only going to keep getting better. It's ridiculous to suggest otherwise, given his age and how many different ways he's he's flashed his all-around skills. They added more good pieces with with Josh Richardson. They are bringing back Tim Hardaway Jr. and Dorian Finney-Smith and Maxi Kleba and Dwight Powell when he's fully recovered from the Achilles injury. This is just a deep roster that that fits well around Luka Doncic, and I would not be surprised if they are actually in the running for the best record in the Western Conference if the Lakers take their foot off the gas pedal. This was hard for me because I went over because I said we were in lockstep. I just don't know like how comfortable it ends up being because like, yeah, with Luka Doncic, they should be more than one win better. And I like what they kind of did over the off season. I don't know if they're going to play West of one do, but that was like my favorite under the radar. One of my favorite under the radar additions, Josh Richardson is going to be great for them. It's just with Kristaps being injured and Tim Hardaway Jr. Coming off like a career shooting season. Like those are just two things like, or like what if Tim Hardaway Jr. Is worse um, at the same time, it's like, I look at their depth and I'm not too impressed, but then it's like, you know what? Rick Carlisle just cobbles together. All it's these the second, Carlisle yeah, factor. It's yeah. the Carlisle factor. So I just went, I went over there They're in the context of the rest of the West though. Like I really struggled with them. Their, their scope of outcomes feels like, I don't think they'll contend for the top spot to be honest, just with, um, KP missing time. And I do just think teams in general are going to load manage this year. Like maybe it'll be more subtle in certain instances, but it feels like anywhere between two and eight for them. And I think you could say that about a bunch of teams. And so that's what's tough. But I went over as well. Yeah, I was going to say, I think with two through seven, in my opinion, you can basically throw the names in the hat and pick them out and you can justify that order. That's, I can't quit the Warriors. Have, like, that's what it is. I'm giving them right. like, I'm throwing them into that tier. <laughs> but yeah, like the Mavericks, Clippers, Nuggets, Jazz, Suns, and Trailblazers. Like 
I, I'm fine if you justify like any order of those teams. That brings us to the Denver Nuggets, 43.5, the equivalent of a 50-win season. Uh, we are in lockstep here yet again. Yeah, Long pause. I, this was a tricky one. Um, I think that I think the Nuggets are better than that 50-win pace um, in an 82-game season. I have them going uh, 45 and 27, which would be barely over their their over under. But I do think that now that the Nuggets have gotten that deep playoff run out of their system, that they they know what it feels like to play in the Western Conference Finals, that this is the year that Mike Malone kind of you know, takes the Eric Spolstra approach and, and experiments a little bit during the regular season, especially with Monte Morris resigned and Facundo, uh, Facundo Campazzo aboard and and continuing to have so much depth and upside is, at his disposal. So I think they're going to lose some games that they shouldn't lose just because they don't need to care about the regular season as much. So I, I think this is a team that is going to be better come playoff time than its record indicates, but still over that win-loss projection. I'm with you there. So what's been interesting, and we had a lot of YouTube comments on the Denver Nuggets preview pod arguing that Jeremy Grant isn't too big of a loss for the team, and a lot of them were citing his on-off splits. I still, just looking at individual matchup data and then just matchups in general where who's going to guard like bigger wings for this team... I have a tough time believing that the Nuggets are better off without Jeremy Grant. That being said, even if I do believe that they're worse suited for the playoffs, this feels like a team that could be like dominant during the regular season. If Jamal Murray is just, you know, shows the consistency that he did in the bubble, that ends up being huge for them. And he was, look, he was defending really well out of the pick and roll. Um, He was passing teammates open like towards later in the season. So if he's like even 75, 85% of the player that he was, in the bubble that just gives this team like a monster boost and they're going to be fire on offense, regardless of whether you think this is the year that MPJ makes the leap. Um, ESPN clearly thinks that he's going to, I think what they have him like in their top 50 players, top 70, whatever it was. I thought that to was be honest, a little wild. I didn't even bother looking at those. <laughs> uh, you participated. They frustrate me too much. <laughs> you participated in the rankings that I'm currently writing for Bleacher Report. So you shouldn't be saying that that's bad advertising for this pod. Uh, or for my work, or bad reflection of it. Anyway, are you you said in the ESPN one? Yeah, but I'm Did just I saying like you? you're just saying ESPN exclusively. You won't look at, but you're oh cool. yeah, I will uh, not look at the ESPN NBA rank system because the methodology is terrible and the results are like just consistently intentionally provocative. This has been like a years long rant for me where I just I cannot stand those rankings. <laughs> I'm sure people feel the same way about ours, but anyway, I I still went over because I think that the Nuggets are just going to be. Still really good. I don't like them. They were my championship pick last year. So for anyone who thinks that I'm just shitting all over the Nuggets, um, I picked them to win the... They were my preseason championship pick anyway. I don't have that same optimism about them this year. But I do not think that's really going to hurt them during the regular season. And so I went over as well. Which would bring us, to the, De- which would bring us to the Detroit Pistons, who are in... Uh, you know, talk about a drop-off here. Their they're over-under is 23.5, the equivalent of 27 wins. Adam, what do we both have? You know, I, I was over on seven of the first eight teams. Just a lucky coincidence. This is my biggest under. Now, the line's at 23 and a half games. I have them winning 16. What just, is the path is a to them hitting me over? Team. I, what is what? What's the path to them hitting the over here? I have no idea. Like, the roster composition doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Jeremy Grant looked awful 
in the first preseason game for the Pistons, which who knows if that's going to be indicative of how he fares uh, in general. But like nothing about this team makes sense. It's hard to believe. Like I know that I said that I generally don't take player movement into account, but like Blake Griffin and or Derek Rose is not going to finish this t- this season in Detroit. And that takes away like one of your few consistent options. I just as good as as Blake Griffin might look, I have I have no idea what the path is to this team even being remotely competitive. Here And here's the thing. People could point out that, hey, maybe we get 2018, 2019 Blake Griffin who made All-NBA and was just, you know, an absolute dominant force. If that's the Blake Griffin the Pistons get, Blake Griffin will be finishing the, the season on a different team. Exactly. I, would, I just want to point that exactly. out. And that's why it was just such a hard under for me, uh, such a hard under here for me. And just to go a little bit deeper into the to the roster construction, it's awful. Like if you value spacing, it's going to be terrible. And people made fun of them for signing too many bigs. It looks a little bit better after they traded Tony Bradley, waved Dwayne Dedman, although they waved and stretched him. So like that's a you know that that's something to talk about as well. Um, acquiring him just so that they could stretch him over five years as opposed to being able to stretch Tony Snell over to three, oh, three. You always love it when your franchise wants to have dead money on the books for, for longer. I'm still willing to give Troy Reaver the benefit of the doubt here just because he clears a vision for this roster. But there's a chance that Blake Griffin is, aside from Shvi, like who's the better shooter than Blake Griffin on this team? Like maybe it could possibly be Sadiq Bey. Um, I'm just Wayne Ellington in theory, yes, but he is not. He didn't shoot the ball too well last year. So, like, if Blake Griffin is your second or third best shooter, like, there's an issue. I'm looking at the uh, the Crystal Basketball ranks uh, that we do at NBA Math for the Pistons, and I don't want to spoil too much since these are still in progress and are subject to change as ballots continue to come in. But at the time that we're recording this, these are the the top rankings throughout the NBA for players on the Pistons roster. I'm not going to go with names, just the numbers. 53, you can probably guess who that is. 89, 141, 147, 233, 240, 258. So like we we have them with with four players in the top 230 in the NBA. Damn. Which is uh that that's that's not good just for anyone who's curious. That's that's really bad. <laughs> yeah, this was a look, maybe they'll exceed expectations somehow. And I really do like Sadiq Bay. And I'm willing to give Killian Hayes a chance, but woof. This roster does not look great for this season. And look, there's no problem being bad. I'm just surprised that they were put on a 27-win pace here is really all. The Golden State Warriors, 37.5, the equivalent of a 43-win season. I'm still undecided on this one, so can you sway me before I make my pick one way or the other? I'm probably not because I'm still very much on the fence here. I, I organically came up with 37 wins, which was half a win away from from the actual line. So I guess I'm going with the under, which I feel terrible about because Steph Curry is just a remarkable gravitational force who makes everyone around him better. And I think we're going to see that throughout this coming season with, with Kelly Oubre and and Andrew Wiggins and Eric Pascal and everyone on this, on this roster. But can we count on Draymond Green staying healthy and effective as he continues to age with a game that is largely predicated on his, on his athletic abilities is Steph going to stay healthy? How are they going to replace Clay Thompson this year? There are just a few too many question marks, even though I have trouble saying under to a team with a healthy Steph Curry, who, to be clear, is coming off a hand injury that isn't necessarily indicative of recurring injury problems. It's almost like you read someone's note on that. Within Did I steal your first. line? No, not not verbatim, if that's any consolation. I, I have trying to. 
I have zero idea <laughs> of what to do with this team. It's just I don't, I want it because if I'm assuming Stephen Curry's healthy, I want to work the over and I just I don't know. I think Draymond Green is going to be fine. I think Stephen Curry is going to be fine. It's literally every other player on this roster that makes me uneasy. I'm still I'm out on Andrew Wiggins. I know people um, there are a lot of Warriors fans that believe they'd rather have him than D'Angelo Russell. And I think you know, when you're looking at trades, would you rather have Wiggins' salary and the Minnesota pick than Russell? I think you would. But in terms of like actually having a good roster, I'm not sure. The center position, if Kavon Looney, that really helps. But how many minutes do they play James Wiseman? Rookies need time. Like they have to go on this learning curve. So this is so tough for me. I'm actually changing what I have in here. And the reasoning is just going to be Steph Curry. I'm going to give them the over. I think they get... To 44 45 when like win pace not in this season i could see 38 um around there 39 i'm just going to be optimistic and um just be more pessimistic on the team that's directly below them i think so so just to be clear we went into this section you asking me to convince you to lean one way and then you ended up going the opposite way so i was clearly very persuasive here's my thing is if you have steph as a top five top three player healthy like, what is the floor for this team? I mean, may, maybe the defense is terrible. I, I don't freaking know. I have no idea. This is, I feel like I just gave myself the L. So you should feel good about your selection. I'll take it. The By huge- any means necessary. 2020 has already reshaped how we work, and it's almost over. Businesses across the globe are challenged to be their most efficient, which means every hire is critical. Well, Indeed is here to help. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need, you can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. And now, Indeed's new way of, of matching you with candidates instantly delivers a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job criteria that you can contact the moment you sponsor a job, making Indeed the only job site that can move as fast as you do. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it, and fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer is valid through December 31st. Terms and conditions apply. The Houston Rockets, 33.5 is the win total. And for anyone who's actually taking our betting advice on this, one, beware. Two, check this just because it's been on and off, like only available at certain points. But 33.5 is the latest I had. That's the equivalent of a 38-win pace. I'm assuming that means they are baking in a James Harden trade at some point this season because that's under 500 basketball. So what do you have? My my answer here is just like, who the hell knows? Like, I have no idea what the Rockets are going to look like in two weeks. And that's kind of true, like, regardless of whether James Harden is on the roster. Because if he is still there, is he going to be motivated? How are the, the new pieces going to fit around him? What can we expect from DeMarcus Cousins? Is Christian Wood actually good after the Pistons let him walk upon seeing his breakout like up close and personal? There are so many questions there. If he is traded, are they going for a win-now package? Are they going for that the, the future rebuilding package, Oklahoma City Thunder style? Like We just have no idea. So I have them at 36 wins, and I feel terrible about it. Yeah, I just I I'm taking the under here because if they're going to tra- trade James Harden, they're going to be bad. Like they're not. I mean, I guess they could get Ben Simmons back, in which case like that becomes interesting. But I'm going to just assume that they trade James Harden sometime before the trade deadline, like not even wait until March, the end of March to do it, and that they're just bad. 
So like that's just my reasoning here. If James Harden stays there, that pick looks terrible. They will like, be I over. Have no idea. Again, like even if he does stay there, I I have no idea what James Harden alone is like a forty five win season. Like I he's like it's right. a it's a Doncic thing. Like if let's say KP doesn't play it all in Dallas this year. And honestly, that's why I went over here. It's, yeah, I know. It's I'm, just I'm, because Harden is still on the roster. So like, yeah, I'm gonna err on the side of him being really fucking good. I think that's fair. I'm just going under because I think they move him. That's just my what my intuition says. This may have been the hardest team for me, the Indiana Pacers. 39.5, 82-game equivalent of 45 wins. We both had the same, but I didn't feel great about mine. What do you have? I did not either. Yeah, I have them settling into the eighth seed in the Eastern Conference, uh, winning 38 games during our 72-game season. Uh, so that would put them slightly under for me. I, I just I think there are a few too many question marks remaining um, as they try to figure out how the offense is going to run. We're coming off the the bubble experience in which TJ Warren just flat out exploded and looks like he should be a featured scorer. We're now going to have to reincorporate DeMontis Sabonis into the mix. If Victor Oladipo is still on the roster throughout the season, like he's going to be playing to prove that he still deserves marquee player money in free agency, which means he's going to need touches. But at the same time, that could also mean that Malcolm Brogdon gets to fill a role in which he's more comfortable and looks better and kind of fills the gaps uh, more advantageously than, than he was able to last season. So I can see that working out. I can also see a Miles Turner trade, a DeMontis Sabonis trade, an Oladipo trade. So this is another team where it feels like just uncertainty is the name of the game. But I'm, I'm going to err on the side of pessimism here just because I'm not entirely convinced that all of these pieces are going to work together and that they will be able to maintain on-court chemistry with so many guys who have reasonable reasons for wanting touches. Right, and I'm totally with you. Everything you said, I don't even know what I could add to it. Uh, there's also, like, hiring a new head coach and Nate Bjorkren. Like, there's, I think he ends up being a huge upgrade for them offensively based off what I've read and what I've you know heard him talking about since taking the reins. At the same time, the Oladipo stuff makes me nervous because he did not play well in the bubble, and it was like to the point where he was hijacking stuff for them. Yeah. And if he, if he one, isn't the same player that he was two years ago, or two, isn't able to take on a reduced role where he's like more complement than central focus, let's say, that becomes a problem. Uh, I know Sabonis said that he doesn't have any limitations after his foot injury, but what if he does? Um, can Miles Turner improve upon last year? I, I still can't quit Miles Turner. Yes. You know that. Yeah. Yes, he can. I think he'll be really good. But I'm with you. He was incredible in the bubble, too. So I will be surprised if both Oladipo and Turner end up finishing the season there. And just because the East is like, now you're adding, I think you can say, two good teams to last year's last year's mix in Atlanta and a healthy Brooklyn that you didn't have last year. I feel like 7-8 is sort of the natural spot for them. And that's why I went over, um, because I would assume 7-8 in the East is going to win at lower than a 45-win pace. You mean you went under? I went under, excuse me, yeah. So... Uh, we both went under there. The But their team, just because they exceeded expectations basically without Victor Oladipo last year, their team I could see us being like not just off on, but way off as well. The wait is finally over. Football is back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager on than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division odds, and championship futures all day, every day. 
Head to BetOnline today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE, all one word, at BetOnline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. The Los Angeles Clippers, um, the two LA teams were really tough for me. They have a 46.5 over-under, which is the equivalent of 53 wins. I like don't really know what to do with this. Uh, what did you do with it? I had them at 46 and 26, so just barely under. Uh, it's it's largely because as good as this roster continues to look, you know, swapping out Montrez Harrell for Serge Ibaka, essentially, like that's that could be it was a, a fairly Green lateral move for Serge Ibaka. Thank Sorry, you. Sorry, my much. bad, my bad. I'll give Jamichael Green more credit in the future. Um, give him his flowers. Yeah, I, mean, I think, as the kids say, this is this is still a, a very good contending roster. But it's the load management issue. Right. I, I can't see any way that coming off an expedited offseason that Paul George and Kawhi Leonard are going to play anything close to the full slate of games, which means that they're going to continue to work on their chemistry throughout the season, that they're going to have to adjust on the fly when one player is missing. So I just I don't have enough confidence and who's going to be available on a nightly basis to go with the over here, even if this is another team that talent-wise and in the playoffs will be better than its win-loss pace. I went over because they were missing Paul George for a huge chunk of last year, and even if he misses some games now, he should probably play in a higher percentage of them. I think we can expect him to be better as well. The fact that Kawhi was already playing in the preseason, I think, bodes well, too, for them. And I like this, you know, there's still things they need. They definitely need like another playmaking point guard. Um, I'm still not sure how I feel about the, the Luke Kennard move for them. I mean, they got four second round picks from the Pistons. So that's, that's great. But can he actually add the playmaking they need? Uh, if he's healthy and isn't dealing with that knee tendonitis, he ends up being a, a fairly huge addition where I think Shamit was better defensively, but Kennard is going to give you more off the bounce juice, which is something that they might need. Having Marcus Morris for the entire season, I think ends up being a big deal. Uh, he was talking about handling the ball more, so maybe that will make people nervous. Zubats was really good last year. Now you have Abaka, who's a big that's better suited to play alongside him, but also an upgrade, I think, at the five. If you're putting him in front of Harrell, and yes, probably Jamichael Green too. I'll I'll admit that. So all that stuff just adds up to them. To me, even like they could be a worse team and hit their over. Like they were at a 56 win pace last year, and they were just so banged up. If Beverly's healthier than he was. Uh, if if Paul George is healthier than he was, having a full season of Marcus Morris, I think it gets them to the over. And the other thing I did, I noticed this last year, looking back at my results, I tended to shy away from like the higher win totals, like no team could win that many games. I'm not falling into that trap this year. So I'm going over for the Clippers. What's funny is I think this is the year to fall into that trap because <laughs> it, it seems like there are just so many good teams that... It, as opposed to like the typical curve of where NBA teams fall, where so many are like clustered around 500, it feels like the cluster is just going to be slightly higher, but taper off quicker. So there aren't going to be as many teams like operating on that 60 win pace in a normal season. And if anyone's interested in the results from last year, by the way, I meant to mention this at the top of the pod. I was 13 and 17 in over unders, which is clearly it's not, it's respectable, great, but like that's it could be worse. That's how I look at it. The Lakers, another hard team, their over-under is set at 47.5, so 54-win pace. What did you give them? I had them going 50-22, and 22, so that's going to put them over by a, a, a non-inconsequential margin. Um, <laughs> you know, LeBron James is going to sit out games. 
Anthony Davis is going to sit out games, but I just I like the offseason that this team had. Adding Dennis Schroeder gives them more creation off the bench or in the starting lineup in the event that LeBron James isn't running point. Um, Mark Gasol is going to do wonders for their half-court offense in particular, as well as continue to, uh, to, to cement them as a, a defensive juggernaut. Uh, I, I am on the tail and Horton Tucker bandwagon. I actually was before his 33 point explosion in that first preseason game. Um, I just, I, I like this roster a lot more, which is something I haven't really been able to say about a LeBron James led team in, in quite a while. I was tempted to go with the under just because of, like you said, LeBron James is going to miss games. But I think, look, at what point do you just trade LeBron and rebuild around THT and Anthony Davis is the question here. And I think it's soon. I mean, and so you go over at least by the trade deadline, right? Now, maybe look, like fe- maybe early February. So I have questions about this team just in the playoffs, where they devoted so much like equity to guys who maybe won't be like closing games for them. Looking at you know Dennis um, Schroeder and Harrell specifically, but they also added two players on the cheap in Mark Gasol and Wesley Matthews, who will be closing games for them. Most definitely, or at least I think Matthews will be there. Maybe they close. I'm assuming they'll close with Davis with the five to some extent. They were at a 61 pace last year, and I think they're better suited to win during the regular season by having like Schroeder and Harrell. Like that is ups your. I think that ups your ceiling in games that LeBron and or Davis doesn't play, and so I feel a little bit better about going over for them. Um, I would probably have them where where you are as well, like a 50 and 22 season feels like the right spot for them. And look, maybe LeBron just like senses. Um, or, or say the same about Anthony Davis. Like maybe they sense like this, um, M- like power vacuum in the MVP race where it feels a little bit more wide open because Giannis has voter fatigue, and that compels Anthony Davis if, he, if he's healthy to play more. Or maybe LeBron just wants award number five. I don't think he's going to take that mindset. But I'm saying like the, their variance is almost good variance this year because even if they do rest their guys, like they have the depth, the regular season type of depth to really get by i will still question their ring wing rotation in the playoffs and how that works for them but in the regular season um and they're they're probably i don't know i haven't done this yet and sat down but they're probably going to be my championship pick to repeat and so it's only right i feel like that we go with the over if if you're betting the under it feels like you're just counting on either a major decline for lebron or him only playing in like 30 games right definitely memphis grizzlies over under of 30.5 which is the equivalent of a 35 win season we disagreed This This is the one I was most excited for because not only did we disagree, but the Memphis Grizzlies are tied with the Cleveland Cavaliers as my biggest positive discrepancy. I have them winning 36 games in this 72-win season, um, which will not be enough to get them into anything more than one of those back-end play-in spots in the Western Conference, but still makes them like a good playoff threat in the West. So I'm going to be really curious to hear why you have the under here, but this is a team that I'm just so remarkably high on in spite of the Jaron Jackson Jr. injury situation where we really don't know exactly when he's going to come back and what he's going to look like. Uh, I'm expecting John Morant to work his way onto the back end of at least one MVP ballot. I'm expecting Jonas Valanciunas to continue validating my belief that he is maybe the most underrated player in the NBA. I like so many of the pieces throughout this roster, and I'm, I, I'm, I'm excited to see what it can do with continuity after relying on so many young players in new, in new situations throughout this past season and exceeding expectations then. I think this line was way too low. So I think it's way too high. You're not having Jaron Jackson Jr. to start the season, you're, and you're probably not going to have him until sometime in January. I don't know when Justice Winslow is like really going to be back for them. So to start the season without him... Uh, and the fact that the Western Conference is better, I think there was some 
lightning in a bottle for them last year where I fully believe that John Morant is as good as he showed, but it's just going to be harder to pick up victories in the Western Conference. The Warriors are healthier, even though they don't have clay. The Portland Trailblazers are better. The Phoenix fucking Suns, that's really all I have to say about them. So I went under with this would be comfortably, and the, the questions I have for the roster aside from health is who's the second shot creator? Because it's going to be Dylan Brooks, and I don't think that's a good thing. Um, their defense has a chance, I think, to be, if Justice Winslow's healthy, to be really good. But like, how are they getting consistent shooting? Like, Does Desmond Bain play a role as a rookie? Um, can you get, is, you know, Grayson Allen, I'm sure, is going to contend for minutes, but do you actually want him on the floor? Uh, can Giannis Valanciunas up his you know three-point attempt rate? And Giannis Valanciunas is good, so they have a lot of good NBA players. I'm just not crazy about the fit with this roster. More so, really, I think there are just two huge gaps here. Is the one, they don't have like the secondary. You can call Jared Jackson Jr. your second option. That's great. But they don't have that second shot creator to, go, to pair with John Moran, at least not one who's also going to you know, space the floor. Like Kyle Anderson can table set, but he just doesn't, he doesn't provide. He shrinks the, the court when he's in the game. And then just the health, like Jaron Jackson Jr., how many games is he going to be missing? And even the same for, for Justice Winslow. And, and that coupled with what the Western Conference landscape looks like in general, I would be more than moderately surprised, how's that for a spicy take, if they ended up winning like the equivalent of 30 games this year. Like I would put them in like the, wow. the, the instead of going you know, 30 and uh, 42, like I'm thinking more like 25 and whatever that would be. I'm not doing the math in my head at the moment. Um, 25 and 37, that sounds right. Yeah, so that's kind of like where I'm at for this team. So I, I, I just I think John Morant is going to hit that level this season where he starts making everyone around him that much better just through his sheer existence. I do actually like what I've seen from, from Grace now, and I do expect Desmond Bain and Xavier Tillman Sr. to, to get some serious rotational run during their rookie seasons. Um, the, the benefit of, of drafting these guys who have plenty of experience at the collegiate level and who sh- should be at least f- fairly NBA ready. Um, Valanchunas can help create, but yeah, I mean, you're right that, that that secondary creator is definitely the biggest weakness, but that's why they're not like a playoff lock because if they had that this roster has almost everything else already I, and so look, I, I feel like this is the one where we need to make like some sort of bet like we we need to agree off air like that this is the team we we, we need to bet on we need to make the bet on air what's the bet for well i don't i have no idea we, right. we didn't know that it was going to be this big a well, discrepancy coming in we're so we should have we should have figured that out when we do the predictions podcast we'll come back with what we figure out the bet is the other thing i'll yeah. add to is i i don't think the grizzlies necessarily want to be good this year the 2021 draft class is deep, and just the way they went about their offseason makes me think that they're willing to chalk this up to a developmental year, and I could see them kind of leaning into that where, does a team want Valanciunas? Does a team want Kyle Anderson? Uh, you probably, I don't think you should trade Anthony Melton, and they're like not you know stacked with trade assets and like veterans that need to be moved, but you know if teams come calling for those two guys specifically, I think they would listen, and that makes you substantially worse, as does, look... Let's not even talk about Justice Winslow's health. What does he look like when he comes back at this point? So, it's been a while. It's yeah, been a while. I'm, I'm very comfortable with the under here. I think you're going to end up looking uh, awfully foolish. I can't wait to see what the bet is going to be. Moving on to the Miami Heat, they have a win total over under a 43.5, the equivalent of a 50-win season. What did you put? You know, I, I have the under because they're, they're the Miami Heat. It's another team where it's clearly going to be better than the win-loss record indicates, and we'll see that come playoff time. But Eric Spolstra is the master of not 
caring about the regular season except to use it as an evaluation period. And we're just going to see that again this year. He's going to continue to make tweaks and figure out just how much Bam Adebayo can do, just how much Tyler Hero can do. And we're going to see the, the fruits of that labor pay off during the playoff run that will inevitably happen through the Eastern Conference. But they're they're going to win 40 games, which puts them substantially under. Yeah, I'm with you for everything you just said, too. And I'm not, I don't know how I feel about this roster relative to last season. I don't think they were a flash in the pan getting to the finals necessarily. But like, they, I, I, losing Jay Crowder, like, it makes their front court less dynamic. Like, what are those lineups going to be? Like, how do you go Bam Adebayo on a small ball four now? Is that Andre Godala? Like, you don't even have Derek Jones Jr. to potentially do that. So that's an issue. Gordon, uh, Goran Dragic, another year older, dealing with the um, plantar fascia injury still. Um, how many games does he play in? What, is, what does he look like? And he was fantastic for them all of last season, and then especially in the bubble, just absolute monster. Jimmy Butler will obviously be fine, but it does also feel like they're like one-shot creator short as well, and they clearly weren't concerned about going to get that person because they want to conserve cap space for 2021, and that is going to put a lot of pressure on Tyler Hero Maybe he, he makes that type of jump. Uh, I'm just, I'm not, you know, th- just between those questions and the injuries, I don't know that I love this roster from a regular season perspective uh, more than last season's. And I would even have questions once they, once they get to the playoffs, but because they're coached by Eric Spolelstra, I'll just assume they'll be fine. I went with the under there as well. Milwaukee Bucks, 50.5, the only team listed with a 50 plus, uh, over under for this season that's the equivalent of winning 58 games over or under adam barely over i had them at at 51 and 21 um for the upcoming season and it's just a matter of believing in in the fit with drew holiday and Giannis Antetokounmpo. i don't think that that mike budenholzer is prepared to to take that spolstra plan and sacrifice the regular season wins quite yet I think that this this franchise wants to continue proving to Giannis that it can win and that it can continue to earn that that number one seed in the Eastern Conference, and it's going to go for it. I went under. Um, they are substantially more shallow than they were last season, and I'll throw that to you as who is their sixth best player? Well, we have Giannis, Brooke Lopez, Chris Middleton, Dante DiVincenzo, and Drew Holiday, which means that their sixth best player is Bobby Portis, Bryn Forbes, or DJ Augustine, and I'm going to go with Augustine. Yeah. And that's awful. That's an issue. And I don't know. They'll have to – maybe it's a good thing. They'll have to play their starters more minutes, and you could probably do more staggering just because you have Drew there. So I I have no doubt that they're going to be really good. They're better suited for the playoffs in the regular season now just because that they're this this top-heavy. And 58 wins is a lot. Uh, so I just don't feel uh, 58 win pace. Excuse me. I don't feel comfortable just going. This is one of those ones where the total was so high. I missed on them last year. They had, I actually think it was 58. I can look back as I'm, as I'm rambling here on it. Um, but they ended up winning at a 63 win pace. Uh, their win total was 56. I went uh, 50. Yeah, it was 58 and I went under and they hit over. So maybe that happens again, but this team feels like it's all about the playoffs. I'm not even assuming that there's the potential for a Giannis trade. If he doesn't sign his supermax. I just, when we can't figure out who the sixth best player is, and the other thing I'll note, I don't, what does Brooke Lopez look like this year? Fantastic defensively last year, um, shot terribly on wide open threes last year though, so there's a chance he drops off, and um, the under just feels good right now. The, th- the thing for me is that, that Giannis is definitely the kind of player I, I just don't see at his age being load managed whatsoever. He seems kind of resistant to that idea, and as long as he's on the court, the team can win any given game. Yeah, I mean, if they're willing to, maybe they're willing to play him thirty-five minutes as opposed to twenty-nine. That goes that goes a long way too. 
Minnesota, 29.5, the equivalent of a 34-win season. We were in lockstep on the next few. So what do we have, Adam? Uh, barely under. I've got them winning 29 games. And it's just a matter of, of not really believing in the defense and how they're going to figure out the touch distribution. Carl uh, Anthony Towns, obviously a generational offensive talent. Ricky Rubio, a generational passer. D'Angelo Russell, Anthony Edwards, Malik Beasley. Like These guys are all going to need touches. I think there's going to be a lot of growing pains for this team, despite having far more talent than it did entering the offseason. Yeah, I'm, I'm totally with you. I don't know what – I think actually people were kind of lampooning the Ricky Rubio edition. I like it. Just I to, like it. Yeah, yeah, to get you it's a, a defensive conscious. And I think D'Angelo Russell can benefit from one – playing beside someone who's better than him, and that's Carl Anthony Towns, and who's the perfect compliment for him. But then also, like, you don't necessarily want him to have the ball all the time. You don't have to play them together. I'm not saying that's how you should close games, but I think that's a good option. Who is defending, like, the bigger wings for this team? Is it Jared Culver? Is it Anthony Edwards? Is it Malik Beasley? Jared Culver's probably the best option in that scenario, I would say. I mean, if it's Anthony Edwards, then those wings are going to score a lot of points. <laughs> and then, look, let's... The, the four spot, like... The, the front court partner for Carl Anthony Towns, I'd be very intrigued. I asked um, Derek James this when we did the Timberwolves preview if Culver plays more four this year than than one um, because it was the complete opposite last year, and he essentially told me no. Um, I feel like they're going to have to play him at the four because Juan Hernan Gomez and Carl Anthony Towns are going to give up all the points. Maybe you try out Jared Vanderbilt. I hope that you do. This team has the chance to be really good offensively, and I left out Josh Okoge there before. It's so like maybe he's the one who defends bigger wings, but like – there's not a lot, a ton of certainty after him. And so it feels like this team is like, I feel like their win total is right where it needs to be right now. We're like in a normal season, we would say, you know what? They're going to win 34, 35 games. And so I'm going to just, you know, pivot to the, to the under here because the Western conference is brutal. And there's a chance, which is great news for the Warriors, that they're one of the three worst teams in the West this season without even trying to be. Agreed on all fronts. New Orleans, 35.5, the equivalent of 40 wins in a normal season. What, what do we have, Adam? Look, this feels like the one every year predatory Vegas line capitalizing on the name power within the roster, where it's like you, you look at this and that's a under 500 projection. The natural inclination is to think like, oh, they had Brandon Ingram, who just won most improved player. They added Steven Adams. They have Zion Williamson, who's working towards becoming one of the faces of the league. We should take over. But no, we, we should take the under here. I have them going 32 and 40. Um, and and not necessarily feeling any urgency to try to expedite the rebuilding timetable. Drew Holiday is a huge loss for them. Like there is no one on this roster who can replicate what he brought. No offense meant to Lonzo Ball and Eric Bledsoe, who are both really good within their roles. But this is this is a team that is still going to to be learning on the fly, to be figuring out just what Zion can do, that is still going to be erring on the side of keeping Zion Williamson healthy for as long as possible. It just, it doesn't feel like this is a fair line. I'm with you. And it, like there are, the player I'd be worried about them moving is JJ Redick. And I emphasize worried because they're going to struggle when they play Zion and Steven Adams together, they're going to struggle to have three shooters on the court with them during those stretches. You're more likely looking at two Brandon Ingram and then someone else like for the most part I know some people probably trust Lonzo Ball's jumper more than that but there's just variance there like he had a good three-point shooting season overall but then wasn't great in the bubble so you still can't necessarily bank on that and just to your point of yeah there's a chance that they just lean further into it I'm just right now even if they don't make any moves I'm not crazy about the fit of this roster I expect them to be better defensively because Stan Van Gundy's teams tend to overachieve on that side of the floor and look just getting Bledsoe 
you know, he replaces Drew Holiday, but like that helps like uh, ensure that the drop off um, is minimal on that side of the floor. And then Steven Adams is probably like neutral um, to a healthy Derek Favors defensively for them, except for the fact that maybe he'll just be more available. Zion should get better if he's healthier. This will be his second season. Um, Brandon Ingram, you know, is he going to have the energy to expend when he's defending because he wasn't that great of a defender last year? Too many questions with this team for me. I didn't know that I didn't necessarily identify the line as predatory, but you know, you talking through it, like I don't know that I ever considered the the over for them. So perhaps that makes sense. Plus, it's a little known fact that in the official NBA CBA, the collective bargaining agreement, there is a clause that says that JJ Redick is legally required to play on a playoff team at least every other season. So he can't he can't miss the playoffs twice in a row. New Orleans isn't going to make the playoffs. Therefore, it is a requirement that he be traded. Boston probably needs to figure out a way to get uh, JJ Redick. If they're just looking at their roster, the New York Knicks twenty two point five, which is the equivalent of twenty six wins. Uh, they played at that exact pace last season, for anyone who cares. So what did you put, Adam? I have them winning 19 games, and as my justification, I will ask you, who's their sixth best player? Their sixth best player? <laughs> who's their Who's their best? Who's their second <laughs> best player? Know. I have no idea. Like, I, I, I hope that the second best player is R.J. Barrett this year. I have no confidence in that actually coming true. Nor do I have any idea how to order it. Also, it, look, if they, if I'm RJ Barrett and they keep playing me next to Julius Randle, I'm going to request a trade at some point because that's just harming him um, so much. But yeah, I'm, look, it's under here. They're, and that's not an insult. They're not trying to win. I mean, they were apparently super involved in the Gordon Hayward sweepstakes, which would make everyone uneasy. Um, you know, but they don't like they don't have the assets to go out and get James Harden, and so I don't see them making that win now move. And who on this team is going to make like this huge leap? Um, and you need multiple of them for them to really be at you know, at a 25 win, like the equivalent, excuse me, of a 25 win team. It feels like this is another year to be bad. The draft class is supposed to be fantastic. They're overdue for some lottery luck, I would argue, because of how many times that they've dropped down. Uh, this is just there's not a player I look at where it says, you know, if he explodes, if Mitchell Robinson stops fouling, OK, good, great. How many wins does that add? You would need Obi Toppin to win rookie of the year. R.J. Barrett to gain consideration for most improved player. Mitchell Robinson to do the same. Like, for me to even consider the over at this point. Uh, I'm And looking at players that they might move, like, I don't think Alec Burks and Austin Rivers, they help this team. Um, so does Bullock. They're players that other teams are going to want if they're healthy. So I could see them getting even worse as the season goes on. And, uh, you know, Frank Nielakina is another guy. He People make jokes. Frank Nielakina improves their defense a great deal. Like, that's just a fact. And Should I go take a nap yeah, before the, the Natilakino monologue here? Yeah, come back in like 60 to 70 minutes. And okay, cool. He's in a contract year, so if they don't want to pay him and there are going to be other teams that are interested in him, your defense is going to get substantially worse should you move him. So I'm, not, I, I'm hoping the Knicks are fun bad, but they're going to be bad. One way or the other, in whatever form, whether it's on purpose or accidentally, they're going to be bad. And I tend to compliment them for... I'm gl- like they should not have done anything significant over the offseason. They tried to, it seems like, with Hayward, and that makes me uneasy. And Tom Tip- Tom Thibodeau is still coaching them, and it's like, oh, so is he just going to start? You know, none of the youngsters. Like it'll be R.J. Barrett and the vets. R.J. Barrett, Mitchell Robinson, and then all the vets. Like I, I don't know. They're going to be bad either way. He can't even coach this team, for- at least in my eyes, to the over. I and ultimately, look, it's it's the Knicks. So like, it doesn't really matter what the line is. Just take the under. Oklahoma City has the same line, 22.5, which is the equivalent of 26 wins. Um, they won 50, the equivalent of 50 last year. So that's quite the dip. What do you have? 
It is quite the dip. I have them winning the fewest games in the NBA this season um, at, at seven, or sorry, the, the second fewest behind the Pistons um, with 17. Uh, and, and it's by design. Now, who, who on this roster is actually going to make it? Like if Al Horford looks resurgent, he's not going to be there. If Trevor Ariza can play basketball, he's probably not going to be there. And the same goes for George Hill. So like, if you're taking the over here, it means you think Shea Gilgis-Alexander is basically ready to be an all NBA guard. And, and he's not like it, he was partially buoyed by the success that Chris Paul and, and, uh, and Dennis Schroeder had around him last season. And, and we saw it when he played without Chris Paul, like the team was not nearly as successful. Um, so even if we're expecting jumps from Lou Dort, from Hamadou Jallo, uh, from Darius Baisley, uh, where, where is the, the, the winning basketball coming from on this roster? And it's by design because they have roughly 718 draft picks per draft for the next two decades. Right. And if you told me that Al Horford and George Hill and Trevor Ariza were going to stay here and play, there's a chance I might pick the over just because as of right now it feels like the Thunder is still a little too good to be where they want to be. And that just means that they're going to, to fix the situation even more, whether they move those guys or shut them down at some point. And so that was a pretty easy under for me. And I agree with everything you said on Shea Gilgis Alexander. I think he eventually gets there, but the two things they just have to see, uh, well, there's more than two things. I think they're one going to like try and extend his defensive range this year um, from what they've been saying, but then also can he make like be the table setter for this team, which really just doesn't have an actual like point guard. There's Shea Gilgis Alexander and George, uh, George Hill, but like, you know, neither of those are like really point guards. And then can he like, can his off the dribble three come along? Because they're going to need that to make, um, put real pressure on defenses, just looking at the rest of, of their roster. So this was a pretty easy under for me, because even if they're too good right now, I think they get to the point where they're bad enough to, to fall under that 22.5 mark. The magic 31.5, which is equal to 36 wins in an 82 game season. What did you have? It was one of my favorite lines. Cause it feels like exactly right. Right. Um, I, I have them winning 31 games. So just barely under. Um, I don't feel great about it just because Nikola Vucevic is still there and he's still an all-star talent. Aaron Gordon could explode at any second if the right pieces are put around him. Evan Fournier is underrated. Markel Fultz has potential to continue getting better. You know, th- this this roster does have some upside, but at the same time, it feels like it's a fairly stagnant team in an Eastern Conference that is largely getting better, which is why I'm I'm just betting on a slight dip, even though I'm like. I'm a little excited to watch this team. Um, I, I really liked Chumo KK as a prospect. He's going to be making his delayed rookie debut. Terrence Ross is good for an explosion or two off the bench per week. I, I, I hope that Fultz succeeds and continues his ascent back to you know the promising prospect that he once was. So this is a, a team that I want to do better, but I just I can't convince myself it has the upside necessary to push even close to a 500 record in an improved East. Not having Jonathan Isaac hurts. Um, it's a I don't, huge loss. Yeah, and then not having someone like DJ Augustine, who definitely regressed with his shot making last year, and maybe Cole Anthony replaces some of that. But like, if if he doesn't, like now you're just short someone who could really shoot in the um, in that point guard rotation. Their wing rotation is just a mess now without Isaac. Uh, maybe this is the year they finally trade Gordon. Uh, could we get him to the Minnesota Timberwolves? That just seems like a team that's a perfect fit for him in case anyone cared what I, what I thought. Like, there's a chance that, like, who's your starting three here? Is it Dwayne Bacon or James Ennis, um, Al Farouk Aminu, who, you know, like, I just, there, it's not great for the Gary Clark, like, Chumo Kiki, like, maybe he factors into it. Um, I'm very intrigued to see him play. He was billed as um, the exact type of player the Magic draft, except that he can shoot. So, like, that, 
That's super tantalizing. So, like, not the type of prospect. <laughs> hey, Cole Anthony kind of goes against that too. So, um, and look, Vooch is good, but like he's not, and he's not going to like carry you to a near 500 record on his own. And I'm not factoring in a Gordon trade. What really did it for me is that last year you could identify like an easy, probably like seven teams almost that automatically put them in the playoff picture of who they were better than. This year, I would say New York, Detroit, Cleveland, and Charlotte are the only teams I'd be willing to bet are not as good as the Magic. And so that that to me just means that we need to pick the under. I actually do have them outside the play-in cutoff. They're, they're number 11 in my Eastern Conference standings. Um, I have them like kind of stumbling into there because of Chicago. Like that's yeah. just, I'm, I don't trust Chicago. Um, but if they trade Aaron, Aaron Gordon, it's over for me. The Philadelphia 76ers, 44.5. That's the equivalent of 51. They played at a 48 win pace last year over or under Adam. So this one really surprised me because I thought I was so high on this roster. Um, but I think it speaks to how flattened out and, and condensed I expect the standings to be. Um, just because I don't think that there are going to be that many teams pushing towards those upper 50 wins. So I have I have Philly having home court advantage in the first round of the playoffs, but only winning 43 games. I do. I really like this roster despite picking the under here. I think that with the right coaching that the Doc Rivers can provide and the right roster composition, we've seen that Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid can thrive together. It's been a couple of years, but you know they're both still really young and, and developing new parts of their game. There's no reason to expect that they can't get back to that level. Tobias Harris had the most success that he's had under uh, any coach under Doc Rivers with the Clippers, and he gets to, to make that reunion and prove that he's a good fit on this team. Danny Green and Seth Curry are huge additions. Shake Milton looked so improved. Tyrese Maxey was a good draft pick for this team. Like This roster looks really good, and I feel bad picking the under here, but it's more a testament to how I feel about the NBA in general than this specific team. I went over, actually, because I love the fit of this roster now. Like They just they took care of so many issues where yeah their backup center rotation is now worse without Al Horford but their best lineup is going to be better if that makes any sense I think the one concern is how many games does Embiid play in you could even ask the same of Ben Simmons who's been pretty banged up throughout his career as well and then the secondary rotation is not like anything booming is Shake Milton going to provide you enough in the, in the backcourt um, does Tyreek Maxey get a real chance and everyone's over the moon about his jumper but he didn't shoot it like too well at Kentucky if I remember so what does that look like at the at the NBA level uh their secondary wing you have you have Thibel like that Thibel that helps um but can um Korkmaz provide you with an impact like he did last year are you going to get anything out of Terrence Ferguson when OKC like couldn't get a ton I think it helps that I like that Tobias Harris is under Doc Rivers again and that they're already kind of talking about you know that he doesn't need to dribble this much and so I think that they're in the right mindset and the fact that this team was like kind of bad, like relative to what they were supposed to be last year and still almost won 50, the equivalent of 50 games, I feel semi-confident in saying, you know what, they're going to do better than that this season. And look, I felt a little bit more confident doing this because I think they would be pegged as the most likely James Harden trade destination at this point. And if you're, mm-hmm. whether or not you're giving up Ben Simmons or Joel Embiid, James Harden makes you better in that scenario. He does, no doubt. The Phoenix Suns, 38.5 which is the equivalent of 44 wins. What did you put, Adam? This was one of the easier overs for me. I, I had them winning 40 games, uh, which is only barely over that line. But I feel like it's a high floor team with Chris Paul. He's a great fit next to Devin Booker, who is an absolute superstar. Um, Mikhail Bridges fits perfectly. Jay Crowder was a huge addition. Cam Johnson looked great in the bubble. Uh, Dario Saric is, is a great uh, retention um, for them. And, and this is the year that I think 
DeAndre Aiden asserts himself as another potential superstar. I, I love this roster. I love all the pieces on it. And I would be shocked if they if, if it failed to win 40 games. Yeah, I'm with you. I went hard over. Like, I would probably put this team, I, when I was doing the Suns Outlook Pod, I, I think I had them at the equivalent of, like, 56 victories. Just because, yeah, there's the element of if Chris, Chris Paul isn't healthy, but, like, the roster is just so much better suited to win with only Devin Booker now. Even their, like, on-the-margin moves this season made so much sense. Bringing in Langston Galloway, um, getting Abdel Nader as as part of that Chris Paul trade, bringing in Etwan Moore. Not crazy about the Jalen Smith pick, but he's shown like a little bit of a floor game in the preseason. Uh, love the Crowder pickup for them. Aiton is really good, and he should, as long as he's willing to like get rid of the the long twos in his game, he should get even better just playing alongside both Chris Paul and and Devin Booker. And the other thing is like Devin Booker is not done getting better. Like he's still this is probably his All NBA season, like or he'll be like right on the the cusp of it where he was maybe top 25 top 30 players last year like he's probably top 18 to 20 decisively this year i feel really good about this team this would fall apart a little bit if chris paul if you told me that he misses like 15 or 20 games i mm-hmm. i think i still might go the over in that situation i'm high i'm very high on the phoenix suns as you should be portland trailblazers uh 40.5 the equivalent of 46 would you give them I had I also had them at 40 wins, which means a, a very slight under, and I don't feel good about that because I, I do think that this roster imp- improved significantly over the offseason. I, I do question how high that ceiling rises. It's a, an argument we've we've had on on previous episodes, um, but I just there there are just a few too many question marks. They're they're counting on at least one of the the, the questionable wing fits hitting. Um, in, in order to exceed that. And I just, I don't know how confident I am in it yet, just because I do have reservations about a number of, of key rotation players here. I'm the complete opposite. I love the fit of this roster. Derek Jones Jr. kind of changes the geometry of the floor in so many ways, but with the way that the Blazers might be able to get him out in transition um, after Dame grabs a rebound or their big grabs a rebound, I think that'll end up helping them. Um, they've already shown like an inclination where these, you know, they had a lineup out the other night where Giles was on the court, but like Melo was basically the five in that scenario. Definitely here for that. Giles has played well for them. So far, Robert Covington is a perfect fit for this roster. One of the best team defenders in the NBA. Gary Trent Jr. played really good man defense last year in the bubble for them. You have Damian Lillard. You have C.J. McCollum. If Rodney Hood is even a semblance of healthy, he was hitting 55% of his catch-and-shoot threes last season. This team is deeper. It is more versatile. It is better. The defense is going to be improved from last season where you know there wasn't anywhere to go but up. I went hard over here, and it really wouldn't surprise me if they wind up finishing like third or fourth in the West. We already said... Those teams were kind of interchangeable, but I feel like they're not mentioned as commonly as commonly as like a Utah, and I do feel like they're in that same tier. The Sacramento Kings, 28.5. That's the equivalent of 32 wins. Over or under, Adam? I had them at 28, so just barely under, but it does feel like a team that could exceed that significantly if De'Aaron Fox makes that leap, if Tyrese Halliburton proves that he shouldn't have slid during the draft, if Buddy Heald actually stays there throughout the season. He's a great fit alongside Fox. Uh, this is this is a, a team with a lot of talent, but it hasn't come together yet, and it, it's a, a it's a leap of faith that I don't know that I'm willing to take, given the the turmoil that Sacramento has had over the last two decades, and just given how good the Western Conference is. It feels like even if they've gotten better, which they have, that it might not have been by enough to keep pace with the other teams in the West. Did they get better losing Bogdanovich though? I think the and the other thing for Maybe. me. The other thing Maybe for me because is because it clears up healed for minutes. 
Uh, well, so here's my thing, is that the fact that they didn't match um, Bogey, they're not trying to be good this year. They're trying to get younger around De'Aaron Fox, and so you look at Holmes, Barnes, Heald, those are not necessarily players I expect to be there at season's end, and then even if they are, like the West is just so brutal. I went under here and felt more comfortable about it than you. De'Aaron Fox is really good already, and I, I actually very much like that Tyrese Halliburton pick. The wing rotation is questionable, though, because Harrison Barnes shouldn't be defending threes. I'm not sure what they're going to end up looking like defensively. What is Marvin Bagley going to be like for them? But, I, like, uh, Bielitsa, that's another guy that I identify as someone who's probably not going to finish the season on the roster. This feels like a team that is going to get worse on purpose, and that's why I went under. I can totally see that. This one's tough. San Antonio, 29.5, the equivalent of 34 wins in an 82-game season. Over or under, Adam? I'm still going under, and I, I feel so bad about it. I have them winning 26 games, and I just I don't see this roster being able to compete in the West. It's it's as simple as that. Like, you know, Eventually, uh, DeMar DeRozan and LaMarcus Aldridge are either going to be moved or declined. We saw in the bubble last year without them that the, the Spurs were clearly making a push to feature their young players and, and kind of see what they had. And I just, I don't know. It's maybe it's just a gut feeling here that as hard as it is to accept like a pseudo rebuilding year, uh, given Greg Popovich's age and the uncertainty about how much longer he'll be there, that it's what's best for the franchise right now that it has a capped upside with the current roster. And I think as an organization, it's smart enough to lean into that and just, and, and realize what its situation is right now the playoff drought is going to to extend to two years the i agree with everything you said i just doubt whether they're going to steer in to that tear down like i don't know it might be tough to move demar and aldridge as it is i don't see them just moving gay and mills to to move them uh it feels like they value their flexibility heading into next summer as well and so that they almost view this season as like we're content to try and get in the playoffs or hover in the middle. I hope that you're right, but I went with the over because I think what's best for their future, unless, you know, Derek White is a star once he's healthy, Kelvin Johnson is amazing, Lonnie Walker explodes, all that. Unless they're just organically really good, you don't want to finish in the middle. But I think that's where this ultimately ends up. They're just not a team that does these huge midseason shakeups. And I think that's what they would need to do to make sure that they're worse than a 34 win pace. Yeah. Toronto, 42.5, the equivalent of 48 wins, over or under. Can I like pass and abstain here because I've largely been on the good side of Toronto Raptors fans over the last half decade, and I I don't want to admit that I'm I'm taking the under here. It makes sense why you would take the under though. Right. It, it's the the losses of Serge Ibaka and Marcus All are big, even if I like you, I'm a Chris Boucher believer, um, a Fred Van Vliet believer, a, a believer in the culture that Toronto has put together, which is arguably the best in the NBA right now. I still have them as a playoff lock in the Eastern Conference. But yeah, I have them winning 40 games, uh, 40 and 32 record. And it's more just a testament to how much better the Eastern Conference is and how packed together that portion of the standings is going to be. It's I, I, I fully expect Toronto to to win 50 games and make this look terrible. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I the, when I initially did my record projections, I think I told you I was, what, like 171 games over what there should, or 171 wins over what they should be or something. Like those had to come away from someone and, and Toronto seemed like a reasonable candidate. I understand why people would go this route. I went over maybe because I'm just like so far against trust of like um, distrusting. I hate myself for being under just so you know. But like the other thing here is I, I'm confident in their top eight guys. You have Kyle Lowry, Van Fleet, Powell, OG Ananobi, Pascal Siakam, 
Aaron Baines, Chris Boucher, and then Matt Thomas is going to play a role. Uh, I don't know what's going to happen with Terrence Davis. Could be like the ninth in there, um, who, who is a good player, questionable human being, clearly. Uh, so they need like maybe to get like one or two guys. Like they need like Bembry to be good or they need like um, Brissett to play a role this season or maybe Alizé Johnson or something. Like they need one of those types of things. They tend to get them though because they they're so good at player development. Uh, I don't know if playing in Tampa impacts this team that is the thing I try to consider is like how many of these guys are going to be away from their families. Uh, and like just in that completely different setting where it feels like they're never home, but then how many of these guys are going to live in Canada to begin with? I still went over because I think if you have like eight guys, like definitively that just leaves like room, but like you only need like one or two more to have like 10 men on that, on any given night of NBA replacement level or closer. And so I think that they, they ultimately get there. So the over, I feel more uncomfortable with it than I did last year, but I'm still there. I'm with you, Toronto. Over. It's cruel that alphabetically San Antonio and, and Toronto come back to back because I think those are the two I felt worst about. The Spurs, though, I will say, like, they should be under. Like, if they were planning for the future, they they should try to hit the under. Yeah. The Jazz, Utah Jazz, 42.5, the equivalent of 48 wins. They wanted a 50-win pace last year. Did you go over? I thought I was going to be. I thought I was going to be way over the line uh, when I did my projections. I have them at forty-three wins, so apparently that's barely over, but over nonetheless. Uh, Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert, obviously fantastic. Having a healthy boy on Bogdanovich is huge. Mike Conley actually looked like Mike Conley during portions of the bubble experience. If if he is back to the level that he was with um, during his Memphis Grizzlies career, this team is just that much better. Jordan Clarkson is just a natural scorer. Royce O'Neal has value. Derek Favors was a huge addition just to make sure that they, they do have that defensive identity, even when Rudy Gobert is on the court. And to some extent, the drafting of Yudoka Azubuki can accomplish the same thing just because he has that the length and, and the mobility to kind of fill that same kind of Gobert role. So I think that given the, the the newfound depth that they have and the upside throughout the roster, like I thought I would be way over where the Vegas line was, but apparently it's only barely. They're going to be a good regular season team if everyone's healthy. And like Mike Conley's almost another free agency addition if he's healthy throughout this entire season just because it was so stop and start with him last year and he's not you know there's not this huge change in how he's playing like now he's used to playing with a um a picking a, a, like a, a big who doesn't pop he dives to the basket instead so things like that will go a long way he was good for them in disney uh there, there's questions about their wing rotation i think the uh you know joe ingles getting older uh, Bogdanovich is getting up there too while they're both good like what who can they match up with on defense, will Jordan Clarkson shot making translate because he's coming off basically a career year in efficiency? What does the backup point guard rotation look like? I'm not as concerned about that because I think Donovan Mitchell at the one becomes more commonplace, and it was fairly commonplace last year, if only out of necessity too. Um, they've essentially decided they're not going to play a single minute of basketball without an above average center on the floor. I don't know that that's like the smartest bet, but it's certainly not a bad one. So I'm I think this team is pretty easily going to hit the under. I'm not confident in their postseason stock. Just it feels like they're a, a Jay Crowder type short of really being in that that firm mix just to have someone at the four who can do the things he does. O'Neal feels like he's just a little bit too small to do that, and it can't be angles. And I don't really think it could be Boyan Bogdanovich. Like him at the four like should be an offensive firecracker, but defensively, I don't know that I would trust it. Still, for the regular season only, I go the over for them. And I'd probably have them a little bit higher than you would. Like me, I could see them going like 44, 45 wins this season. The final team, the Washington Wizards, 32.5, the equivalent of 37 wins. What did you have? Yeah, I've got 
I've got them winning 34 games, which would give them the over. And it, it largely just comes down to the Russell Westbrook factor. And I, I think that the narrative on him is too harsh. Uh, he was coming off an extended layoff with an injury um, and coming off the, um, working through his coronavirus diagnos- diagnosis, I believe, when he when he entered the bubble. I'm, I, I'm not misremembering that, right? No, you're not. Okay, yeah. So as rough as he looked, like let's not forget about how good he looked once the once the Rockets decided to go super small and put the right kind of pieces around him and how good he has been in previous seasons. It's a questionable fit next to Bradley Beal, uh, just because it's tough to put Russ with any ball dominant player. But this is a this is a talented team that has the ability to provide plenty of spacing around Westbrook with Beal, with Troy Brown Jr., um, with Garrison Matthews, with uh, Davis Bertans, with Thomas Bryant, who's shooting some threes now. Like the, the, the pieces are in place for this team to at least like think about the playoffs. I don't think it'll get there, but oh. it, 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 it is reasonable for it to be in that conversation. I went over as well. Um, I'm a little bit higher on them than you, and I'm not necessarily like a, a Russell Westbrook advocate at this point, but they can easily surround him with four shooters in a lot of the lineups. Um, what Troy Brown Jr. did for them towards the end of last season, that encourages me. Like, their wing rotation is still a question mark, but, like, that gives them some hope there. Um, Isak Bonga, that's someone who could probably start at the three for them. Do they get a little bit of a spike from Rui Hachimura? I don't know that they necessarily need it. They're going to be really good on offense. I don't know that Robin Lopez stabilizes their defense all that much, certainly on the inside, but just overall. Um, I don't know that I would pencil them in firmly as a playoff team, like to say that they're a postseason lock. But if you if you keep Bradley Beal this season and Russell Westbrook's healthy, I think that they're there. Like they're definitely going to get into the play-in. And so a 37-win pace seems a little bit too low. I don't know if I would bank on them having a winning record, but they could. I, it would not surprise me if they're just one of the biggest surprises in the league. And we're talking about them the way that people are talking about Atlanta right now. Maybe not as rosy of a future, but in that same context of, oh, they're going to be fifth or sixth in the East. That feels aggressive, but I get why you would say it. That does it for us. Uh, short pod by our standards, unless it's attached to something else, in which case then it'll be longer anyway. Please, please, pretty please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes, even if you don't use iTunes. Most importantly, of course, though, just subscribe and download every episode. It helps us out a great deal. Until next time, I leave you with a shout-out to the one, the only, Frank Nielakina. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.